scripture reading comes from Second Kings, chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. You may find this on page 263 of your pew Bibles. Second Kings, chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more, then, when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. This is the word of God. I'm a sophomore at Brandeis, and uh, this morning I'd like to share about how God has been working in me and through me through, um, since doing campus outreach at Brandeis. Of course, my testimony today can only capture so much of what God's been doing um, because he works graciously in both ways, seen and unseen. And what we've experienced through outreach is only a portion of the scene, which means that in the grand scheme of things, God is doing immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, as scripture tells us in Ephesians. While thinking about what to share today, I realize that um, no matter what I say, my hope and prayer 
is that I ultimately draw our attention to God's glory. While God had been preparing our hearts far in advance, Brandeis Outreach started officially last November. A few of us came together and shared what God had been growing in each of our hearts, a love for people on campus, and a desire to see them redeemed, restored, and reconciled to God. None of us were really sure of exactly what to do with this desire. Um, Literally, like, we sat around and we just thought about what we could do. Uh, But by God's grace, we stepped out in faith. God provided everything he knew we would need, from meeting space to food to students with open hearts to talk with. And thus, our outreach ministry started. We agreed to commit to outreach on Sunday nights since we expected to find um, most students studying in their dorms at that time. We would meet in my dorm, spend an hour in worship and prayer, and then we'd go out for outreach and then return afterwards to debrief and pray. During outreach, we would pair up in teams of two and offer home-baked goods and prayer to freshman students in their dorms. Um, I remember the first outreach was particularly memorable for me uh, because we met several students with open hearts to have us pray with them. And um, I remember we actually had a group of students who were really open uh, and, and receptive when we were praying with them, and they said that this is exactly what they needed, um, our visit to them that time. So as we continued our outreach, we learned that God had planned every single week's experience to be different. On some weeks, we were met with students who, who were you know, very open to spiritual conversations and prayer and ultimately the gospel. And on other weeks, we were met with rejection. There were times when we would get no positive responses, which made us lose heart and get discouraged. But we pray that God would remind us of how good he is and how perfect his plan is in spite of us not seeing what we deemed was successful. Um, Through these times, however, God reminded us that success isn't just seeing positive responses, but our obedience and our faith is counted as success in his eyes. In his book, um, The Explicit Gospel came out a few weeks ago, I think, Uh, Matt Chandler reminds us of this truth through the example of Isaiah. So many of us know the part in Isaiah where he goes, um, you know, he hears God saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Um, And to which he responds, here I am, send me. And Chandler says that although this verse convicts many of us, like myself, to preach the gospel um, and see people get saved, we forget that the mission that God gave to Isaiah was to preach to a people whose hearts were hardened to God himself. So as paradoxical as this sounds, I realize that how much, um, you know, we can learn from Isaiah's testimony in our own campus outreaches, that no matter who God has us meet on a given night, true success is not necessarily found in how positively people respond to us or how receptive they are to our, you know, goods and our prayer, um, but how willing we are to be used by God in any way to share the truth about Jesus Christ. Though it seems like God had been working in tremendous, has been working in tremendous ways through our outreach. We believe that all that we've seen is just the start to one of our biggest prayers, and that is um, revival. Our long-term vision is that God will bring revival to this campus, and that those, including ourselves, who claim to be Christ's disciples, would be able to unconditionally pour out God's love to this campus, and to live in such a way um, that we can point all people and all things to God for God's own glory. It is our hope and our prayer that people will be saved through our ministry and that 
we as members of God's family, accepted through the blood atonement of Jesus, will be able to share the gospel and pursue the lost with this kind of love that God has shown to us um, from the very beginning. We also pray that our love for Christ and our commitment to growing to be more and more like him will enable us to preach the good news in a very relational way. And where we're not just, you know, preaching the gospel, but we're also building relationships and pursuing students um, to show them that we truly want to love and care for them with God's love. And this is something that I'm personally still um, learning to grow in a capacity to do these days. I just want to thank all of you who have earnestly been praying for not just our campus, but, you know, all campus outreaches that have been started since last semester, last year, whenever, um, and helping out in big and small ways. I cannot emphasize how grateful we are for your prayers because we have seen God working through them time and time again. Some of you have helped in ways that those of us doing outreach aren't even aware of, and we are incredibly thankful for your support. When we pray and support each other, we're not just helping out on the sidelines like a cheering bench warmer. Um, I know how that feels like because I've been a bench warmer myself as you know, like the only season I tried out for soccer in high school. But we're working with each other to participate in God's kingdom work which means that every single one of us is indispensable. So even though all of us aren't part of the same school or work environment or church ministries, um, I pray that we can desire the same eternal vision for God's work of reconciliation and not just ourselves to Jesus, but in all of creation. Thank you. Hello and good morning. Um, my name is Chris and I'm a sophomore at Bentley. Um, if you have not noticed, that was the guy in the video who Eric was trying to convince to go to outreach before being tackled by Mark. Um, although we try to make it humorous, um, that's what it really was to me at the beginning of the year. Um, I didn't fully understand or see the purpose of outreach, um, let alone think that God would use me in such a way that I'll be doing it in the next semester. Um, but God has driven me um, to grow in many ways on this this past year. He doesn't reveal a lot at a time, um, but it feels like there's often um, uncertainty in the next next step. Um, like it's, it feels like I'm very like uncomfortable and confused um, when I step out of my faith, but um, I had a desire to stretch my faith after seeing uh, my fellow ICFers um, do the same and grow in their faith. Um, this past winter, I participated in uh, the ICF um, Christmas uh, service project in Philadelphia. And I got a hint of like God's unending grace um, by serving the homeless, the uh, drug addicted. And I, I got a feel for the importance of outreach. And I also got a joy that I previously did not have. Um, and it, it was a joy that knowing... This is what he planned for me in advance, and that I was um, serving him and fulfilling. Um, it was just, um, I also gained a greater understanding of his purposes, and he had built up convictions in me, such as um, having an eternal perspective or having a heart for those who are um, far from him. When I returned to campus, um, this Beginning of the semester, I had, I had a new resolve. I was driven to want more of a taste of God's grace and goodness. So what have I been doing this semester? 
God has been working through me and other ICFers to reach out to students on campus. Um, it's not only Bentley, but there are other camp- ICF campuses um, that have been doing the same, such as Wellesley, Olden, Brandeis, as Tammy mentioned. Uh, for Bentley, it typically happens on Saturday afternoon. And first, we prepare our hearts with prayer. Um, then we simply stand outside of the student center and take surveys. Um, and to give you an idea of what these surveys are, um, it's basically three unreasonable Christian claims. Um, and the first question is, is it unreasonable to love your enemies? And the second question is, is it unreasonable for the Bible to claim that everyone is a sinner? And the last question is, is it unreasonable for Christians to claim that Jesus is the only way? And our hope is, for the last question, that it will spark interest in, in the survey or the person we're surveying. Um, and hopefully they'll ask, why? Why do you believe this? And then we will lead into sharing them the bridge illustration or any other form of the gospel. And in fact, uh, a few ICFers and also a few CARES Compass and counselors um, came out yesterday and we surveyed about 40 people and we shared the gospel with nine students, which is, which is awesome. Um, and though we have not seen anyone commit their lives um, to God yet, um, we, we know that um, through us he's been planting seeds and that we kind of get the conversation going and putting God on their hearts um, because we know that this is really important for college students who get lost in their work and get lost in other activities. Um, so we, we just pray that God will work in, continue to work in their lives and water the seeds and uh, hopefully harvest the crops. Um, but to be honest, doing this is really scary. Um, and sometimes I think, what, am I crazy? Am I crazy to spend my Saturdays um, having awkward conversations with my classmates and my friends? Is it worth it to risk my image on image, image on campus and potentially distance my friends? These are questions. These are the questions that were hardest for me to overcome. Um, although I struggle with this, it challenges me um, with the with the question of how much faith do I really have? Am I willing to trust the Lord to sustain me and commit my life to the Lord, even in the face of rejection, which happens a lot? Um, but God wants to have a relationship with those, um, the students at Bentley and the students at other campuses and everyone. Um, and we have found that even though some people were raised in a Christian home or they claim to be Christian, they don't even know the gospel. Um, so that's why it's so important um, to let as many people as we can know about the gospel. And when I struggle with those really uncomfortable moments where I have to approach somebody and have a spiritual conversation. I, I think about their eternal, um, their eternal destiny that is um, separated from God. And I compare that to the eternal gift of salvation that God freely gives us. Um, doing so helps my, keeps my heart sensitive to what God may want me to, God may want to use me. If you would, please pray for God's work on Bentley campus as well as other campuses in ICF. Um, And I just pray that he will work in the lives of the students um, and hopefully bring in his his harvest. Thank you. Thanks, Chris and Tammy, for sharing. Appreciate that. Um, Several weeks ago in our uh, Disciple Making Sunday School class, um, we had a lesson on Elijah. 
And we're reading the account in, in First Kings. I think probably many of you are familiar with it. Where Elijah challenges these 450 prophets of this foreign god Baal, and he challenges them to try to call down fire from heaven. And for those of you, you know, familiar with the story, you know what happened. You know, these these Baal prophets would chant and dance all day, and they even would cut themselves to try to appease their god, but no fire ever came. And then when Elijah prayed to the Lord. Fire just poured down from heaven. And then later in the same chapter, we read about how during a time when there was a severe drought in the land, Elijah told the serv- Elijah was praying and he told the servant to go, go look f- for rain clouds because he knew it was going to rain. And, and he sent a servant and the servant's like, there's not a cloud in the sky. You know, it's not going to rain. And, and he sent him out several times. And then finally, I think it was the seventh time, Elijah, or the servant came back to Elijah and he's like, I see a little rain cloud forming. And Elijah's like, we need to go because it's going to pour. And shortly after um, he said that, sure enough, you know, there was this downpour that happened. And so in the book of James, uh, James, when talking about the effectiveness of prayer, he says this, he says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. And we keyed in on that first phrase. You know, Elijah was a man, just like us. And, and I think when we, were, when we read that, we were like, no, we're not really like Elijah's, but, but we really want to be. You know, I think we would all like to be Elijah's. We would all like to be able to pray, you know, and see fire just come down from heaven. We would like to be able to pray on a, you know, bright, bright blue sunny day without a cloud in the sky and be pray for rain and then all of a sudden, you know, a downpour occurs, you know. We would all like to be Elijah's. Those who literally and figuratively, as, as Patricia sang in the song during offering, you know, we would all like to set the world on fire. But though we would like to be like Elijah's, I tend that for myself and probably for many of you, uh, you probably find that you are more like Naaman than Elijah. In our passage, we saw that Naaman was a person who wanted God to do some great work in him. In a specific case, he wanted God to heal him of leprosy or whatever skin disease that he had. And Naaman, as we were reading, was an upright man. In our passage, when he's first mentioned in verse 1, we saw that God chose to use him to give victory to the Arameans and also said that he had the respect of the kings and those around him highly regarded him. And so he didn't really acknowledge the God of Israel because he wasn't Jewish. You know, we get a sense that he was a good man and he dealt fairly with others, and whether it be those above him, you know, his peers or even his subordinates. But the one problem we find with Naaman is that he had, a very, he had very set ideas of how things should go. He had these preconceived notions which made it difficult to accept if things were done differently. As we heard in the passage, this young slave girl, who once again must have thought highly of Naaman, wanted to help him. So she gives him advice to go to this prophet to get your leprosy healed. 
And Naaman, when he hears this, you know, he's excited. He wants to go. And he, of course, he wants to be cured of leprosy. And this is where these preconceived notions begin to set up in his mind. You know, Naaman's first thought is, you know, great, I'll go. But what I first need to do is gather gifts for this prophet. So as we read in verse 5, he gathers gold and silver, which I figured out nowadays would have a current value of $4 million. And then he goes to back then what was maybe the Prada or Dolce and Cabana of those days, and he collects 10 sets of clothing. And then after you know, a comical visit to the king, he arrives at the house of Elisha. And so can you imagine what Elisha's servant must have been thinking when you know, he looks out the window of the small, of this small little house and then you know, up pulls this huge procession of chariots you know, and soldiers and horses along with this great you know, commander of the army. And once again, you know, Naaman already has ideas of how things should go. You know, he's like, I'm the commander of the Aramean army. You know, we captured Israel. We rule over them. You know, this man will probably come out of his house in fear and trembling. You know, maybe he's going to bow at my feet. And I'll just give him the $4 million and some spiffy threads. And I'll be like, you know, just wave your hand and heal me. But we read, you know, we we heard in the scripture reading what, what really happens. You know, Elisha doesn't come out to greet Naaman. He doesn't come out of his house but he sends a mere messenger to tell him pretty much to go jump in the lake. And, and what was Naaman's reaction to this? He threw a fit. He thought about the power and the respect that he should be entitled to as the commander of the army. And yet this measly prophet wouldn't even come out of his house to even greet him. Verse 11 and 12, you can look at it um, in your Bibles. I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me. Are not Urbana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any waters in Israel? Couldn't I wash in there and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. So things didn't go as planned, and he gets mad. And as I think about it, sometimes we have the same reaction. You know, we make plans, we have set ideas of how things should go, and when they don't, we get angry. You know, like, why couldn't you do things my way, God? Why couldn't you do things according to my timetable? You know, I'm more or less an upright person. I believe in you, I fear you, I serve you. You know, why, why can't you answer my prayers? And you know, there is... To be honest, something wrong with that song that Patricia sang during offering. Um, when I first heard it, it came out a few years ago. I, I don't know if any of you have heard it before, um, but back when I was in Texas where they do have Christian radio stations, I, I heard it on the radio and I was like, wow, this is a really good song. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I want to set the world on fire. I want to be able to feed the starving. I want to be able to heal the hurting. But when I listened to the lyrics more closely, I recognized something incorrect about it. You know, it's not God fulfilling my dreams or doing what I want him to do, but it's us doing whatever God wants us to do and being his servants no matter how he chooses to use us or or not use us. And often his ways, once again, are very different from how we expect them. 
And this is one thing that I would say that we're really learning in ICF this year. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, you heard from the testimonies of uh, Chris and Tammy, and, and you said on the video, I mean, go knock on doors of complete strangers and try to engage in them a conversation about God. You know, go stand in front of the student centers and, and interrupt strangers to see if they'll talk to you about Jesus. I mean, as, as Chris shared, I mean, this is crazy as well as scary. I doubt that many of you would put yourself in the situation. If I said, we're going to have a sign-up list to go, go do outreach at Brandeis at Bentley, who wants to come? I don't think many of you would sign up. And you know, for Naaman, he had to really humble himself to obey what God was telling him to do. One reason I think Elisha told him to dip himself in the water seven times instead of just once was that God wanted to test his faith. You know, I can picture Naaman going into the Jordan River, you know, one time, two times. You know, by the third time, he's, he's probably thinking, this is so stupid. You know, why am I doing this? Look at how dirty the waters are. You know, the rivers of Damascus are so much nicer. Maybe by the fifth time, you know, he's ready to quit. Do I really have to do this? I mean, this is really dumb. You know, but he obeyed. And when he came out the seventh time, he was healed. And when he was healed, he knew it was from God because only God could have worked through something like this. You know, verse 15, he exclaims, Now I know that there is no God except in Israel. For many ICFers, um, I just saw this year how they humbled themselves and they took big risks to put themselves out for God. And what they found was similar to what Naaman experienced. Now, contrary to to what the video showed, you know, they found that more so than people slamming the doors on their faces, many people were actually receptive to talk with them, and they were grateful that they came. For many, they found that through bold prayers and believing in this big God and taking steps of obedience, big steps of obedience, that God was able to use them in ways that they didn't expect. And in doing so, they experienced God in deeper ways and could glorify him for his work in their lives. To give you an example, you know, just yesterday, some of us were out at Bentley doing outreach. And for one group, which I was actually part of, we, we weren't actually having much success. You know, we found that while several people were cooperative, they were willing to talk to us, they were willing to do the surveys, um, they didn't want to really go much beyond that. They weren't really that responsive to engage in further conversation. So two of the girls, um, while during a slower period, just stopped and prayed. And they prayed that God would allow, for the next person that they meet, that God would allow them to share the bridge with this person. And when they finished praying, they ran into a group of three girls. And during their time with them, they were able to share the bridge illustration with them. And when they came back, I mean, they were excited because they knew this was something only God could do. They knew it was an answer to prayer. And they couldn't help but just praise God afterwards for his goodness and faithfulness in answering their prayers. And you know, I, I, I believe God wants to use each of us to do great things for the kingdom and experience him in ways more so than we are currently doing. But for many, I think though we pray, that we learn about and, and we believe in this big God, 
I think a further thing we need to do is to be like Naaman and humble ourselves before God and be willing to go out on a limb for God, even when it doesn't fit into our own ideas of how things should be done, even when it doesn't make sense or it even makes us awkward or it makes us feel awkward or uncomfortable. You know, we may have these set ideas of how we need to grow in Christ. We may have these set ideas of how we should do things like outreach. And, you know, and even though these things are not bad, we could be missing out on so much more. You know, maybe we're, we're taking public transportation, sitting on a subway or a bus, or maybe we're just even sitting in a restaurant or, or getting a cup of coffee somewhere. And maybe you sense that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to go talk to this person sitting next to you. But you're like, you know, I'm not going to do that. You know, what if this person thinks I'm weird? You know, what if this person rejects me? What if they're offended? You know, or at school or work, if, if God is moving you to reach out to this coworker or student that no one else talks to and everyone else rejects, would you be willing to swallow your pride to do so? Or would you think, you know, I'm not going to do this. My friends will reject me if I do. My coworkers will think I'm crazy. But maybe these are the things that God is calling us to do and that God wants to use to bring us into a deeper relationship with him. Um, you know, if you're praying for God to deepen your relationship with him or that you'll be able to experience him more in your life, this may be the very thing that's preventing you from doing so. It's not our plans or our preconceived notions of how things should work. For often, this may cause us to credit our own wisdom and our own brilliance in planning. But it's being obedient to what God wants us to do, even if it's at great expense to our ego. As you heard, in ICF, you know, we needed to have a greater conviction about the power and priority of prayer. We needed to learn about and really believe in this big God who can do great things through us. But we couldn't just be cognitive about these things. It had to force us to go, to go out and just do things that make us uncomfortable and make us in things that don't often make sense to us. We had to go out believing that God can and does want to use all of us. And so, you know, don't say you believe in these things, but be stuck with this sense of how things should work or be willing to do things apart from how we think they should be done. You know, go, take bold steps of faith. Then you will see God use you in ways that you never thought he could. And you will experience him in ways greater than you could have imagined. And you will praise God knowing that only God could have done this in your life. You will praise God because you see him using you to impact others in ways that, he never, that you never thought he could. I would, um, yeah, I think there's a lot we can learn from the ICFers, and I'm just very proud of all that they do and, and their willingness to take risks to go out on a limb for Jesus. I think that's a lesson that we can all learn. And so like Naaman, you know, let us humble ourselves, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it seems crazy. Let us humble ourselves to be obedient to what God would ask us to do. And once again, 
We will experience him in deeper ways than we thought we could, and we will praise him because we know that this could only come from God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for giving us examples like Naaman, who teach us, Lord, what it is or what it means to, to have to humble ourselves, to be obedient to what you ask us to do. But in humbling ourselves, we see just the power that you have to do work beyond what we could ever expect or imagine. You know, we don't know how many years Naaman was suffering with leprosy. We don't know, you know, what remedies and treatments that he tried before. But just, you know, all it took was just seeking after you, being obedient to what you told him to do. And he was healed. And he could exclaim, now I know that that there is no other God in the world except in Israel. Father, let us follow his example and be willing to humble himself, humble ourselves and go on on a limb for you so that we may also experience you and be able to say, now I know that there is no other God because only God could do this great work in my life. Proud these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Dave. Would you rise with me as we just respond in worship? As we uh, just sing the song, I guess, just meditate on the words and really make it your prayer as we just think about uh, not focusing on our dreams or our visions.